Hello, and welcome to Academy Conversations Uncut, a podcast of rare Q&As with the world's foremost filmmakers, hosted by the Academy and released for the first time to the public, unedited. Today's panel was recorded in October 2018 at the Samuel Goldwyn Theater in Beverly Hills, California. Discussing the Academy Award-nominated movie, Can You Ever Forgive Me? A dark comedy historical crime drama about the writer Lee Israel, who, when her work fell out of fashion, turned her talents to forgery instead. We were joined by actors Richard E. Grant and Melissa McCarthy and producer David Yarnell. The panel was hosted by Pat Morrison. Here's Pat. Thank you for coming. I'm Pat Morrison. So let's bring on our panel. First, producer David Yarnell. And actors Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant. Hi there. Well, so I'm going to give David top billing first. If as he's you ready. should, as you should. Yes. All right. So this book, Lee wrote her book in 2008, but. So 10 years on, here's the film. She died in 2014. Am I being mean-spirited, or was she easier to deal with dead? <laughs> the word e- the, the, the word. I think it's on if you just hold the, it up here. The word easy was not ever in play. <laughs> it took me a year and a half to convince her to write the book. She kept uh, resisting it, and I said, at least there's a Vanity Fair article in this or a New Yorker article, and they both rejected it. And then Simon and Schuster picked it up, and the book was done. But it was difficult, and then she was delighted that she got it out of her system. And then did she know that there was even a film in the works? When she, she, when she had died? a hint that there might be a film in this. How difficult was it then to get it going once you had it in hand and had the rights to it? Well, a lot of credit goes to Ann Carey, who was the lead producer on this, and a wonderful producer, uh, recognized in the indie world as one of one of the uh, better uh, producers who finds great material, understands it, and develops it. So Ann Carey, who really should be sitting here, uh, gets a lot of credit for that. Well, we do have sitting here the two principal actors. So, Melissa, as as you read the script, I mean, here's a woman who pushed everybody away, but you had to make us want to get close to her. How did you pull that off? Well, I think that's <clears throat> in excellent writing, and I think it's in a true fascination I had with Lee. I read it, and... I did want to get closer to her. I wanted to know more. Um, I, th I think you could tell within her story and how Nicole Hall Center wrote her story that she was isolating herself as a defense mechanism, and and she just was truly who she was. And I'm always I'm always incredibly uh, drawn to people that are in their own shoes and don't feel the need to kind of behave a certain way. They just simply are who they are, even if it makes their own life and world more difficult. And I'm, I'm really uh, attracted to that as a character I want to play, and I think even in life. 
I pass those people by and I think, well, that's someone fascinating because they don't care what anybody thinks. And how did you find the script? How did it come to you? I, um, my husband, earlier, several years earlier, there was a different version of this uh, script with other people in it. It didn't end up working out, as happens all the time. And my husband was also in the first version. So when he brought home the script and I saw Nicole Holofcener wrote it, I just wanted to read it because I was interested in seeing what he was doing. And I thought, oh my God, that's so good. It's an incredible script. She's fascinating, the whole thing. And then when it didn't happen, I was kind of crushed and I could never get Lee out of my head. So I just kind of kept asking every once in a while. I was like, what's ever, what's happening with that, that movie? Because somebody should do it. It's, she's, she's riveting. I said, somebody should shine the light on that. And I just, kept, I just kept poking at it. And then I weaseled my way into Ben's movie. <laughs> um, and Richard, I'm glad you wore your coat with the velvet Chesterfield facings on it because what struck me about your performance was that it was almost Dickensian that even though your character was on the wrong side of the law he had this macabre sense about him that he was always going to come through that he was always going to to make good somehow how did you nuance your character as Melissa nuanced hers I had no idea that I was wearing Dickensian clothes here in 2018 (laughs) but I'm delighted that you think that Um, even the shoes I think give us a little hint Oh, thank you. Um, now how to answer that. Um, I think that, that everything is, is in the script, and playing somebody that is damaged, as these people are, is always, that's much more attractive, and there's much more meat to deal with as, as a character. And I think the other, the first movie director that I ever worked with, Bruce Robinson, said that you, in order to play comedy, you've got to play it absolutely deadly seriously. Um, that if anybody on the crew thinks that it's funny, it's going to be dead in the water. So I th- I've always remembered that, and I thought that was a great way into this, that they are people that are prickly and difficult and porcupine-like. So that's that's how I went in. And the, the, the buddy movie uh, thing that I watched was... I, would, I was so struck by the fact that, that they have this platonic but very intense relationship, and... The, the one that immediately came to mind was Midnight Cowboy, that, that combination of Rizzo and Rizzo and the John Voight character where people who are completely disparate have this commonality. So On the streets of in. New York to boot. Exactly. And, and Melissa, that raises the question too of this is a script that is not, it's not a, written as a comedy, and so the comedy in a way becomes wittier because of the contrast. Was that one of the things that drew you to it? And did that make it easier to play or harder to play? Um, I don't think we were ever reaching for any of the comedy. I think the, I think Lee's wit and, you know, just comes out through the stories. And I think Jack, you know, he was such a, he's such a bigger than life character. And for these two very different people to find each other and, you know, in a way it's a love story that, they just two very lonely people that finally find someone, at least for a short time. I think I, you just connect to that on a human level. But we were we were never concerned with the humor of it. I think when I saw it, I was surprised that people laughed as much as they did. But I thought, oh, it's like it is her wit. They, you know, 
it, it's in there. It's in the relationship, but we were, you know, doing. It's also in the great swings. actors that participated. In. Oh. Absolutely. David, how did you assemble this cast? Obviously, Melissa just sort of strong-armed her way into this, but. She slept with one of the actors. It's true, guys. It's true. <laughs> the cast was really assembled by Anne Carey and her and, and uh, people in New York. I was, my contribution was uh, considerably added to the music of the, of the film. Um, but I'm, I'm not yeah, taking credit especially, you know, having these two wonderful, you know, first-rate actors. Well, you didn't in. kick me off set, so that's well, a, that was a bonus for me. That was just to prove that I was there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the original material, you knew Lee. I was, I knew her for 20 years. I optioned her books, and she'd call me at 3 a.m. and say, why aren't we making that fucking movie, you know? And, and my wife would say, why are we dealing with this woman? But it was worthwhile, because I dearly loved her, and I was even given the burden of having her cremated, you know, when, when she died off. So it was um, a love-hate love situation, you know? bit more love than hate. So she really did what we saw, make the crank calls and... Oh, absolutely. That was... Uh, I think that kept her going, is that, <laughs> that stimulus of annoying people and angering people. Uh, Richard, um, in, in this film, which is taken from the book, you, you just read the book yourself recently. And so... How, how did it strike you, you know, the story of the woman who inspired this versus what you ended up making as a film? I realized, having read the, the book, which is very... Um, there's not really an enormous amount of detail, so the screenwriter, Jeff Whitty and Nicole, have invested every scene and kind of mined out the story that isn't obvious just from reading what what is on the page. And I've, I, my admiration for that is absolutely enormous. So that gave you some latitude, too, as your character. Yeah, because the character's American for a start. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but they didn't ask me to do an American Listen, accent. Stephen Hawking's voice was American, so I guess you can get away with it. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and, and Melissa, so the difference between the book and the screenplay, you have a, a more... 360 degree view of the character because when you write about yourself obviously you're not going to be able to convey that so when what you saw in the screenplay and then brought to the screen there there was this synergy with Richard's character too that you probably didn't even find in the book I would think no I think I mean luckily I think right when we met and we we didn't meet until what was it Friday and then we were shooting on Monday mm -hmm. and uh it, we just kind of hit it off immediately, and I think we both. And I mean, I was I was so delighted how he was playing it, and I just thought, oh, like what a what a whirlwind coming into her life, and it just made kind of all those scenes so fun. And I, I think the synergy, and also from Mari, just we all saw. I think when you're really seeing the same film and you see the same people, and then you know, there's latitudes and in. And 
the ability to, to stretch in different directions. But I think we were all seeing the same thing. And then you were actually able to just get in there and, and play the scene pretty truthfully. And it, I think it made it so much more fun sometimes when I didn't expect it or so much more heartbreaking. And what role did New York play in the fact that, you know, this is the kind of New York that you don't see in a Woody Allen movie necessarily? It is more Midnight Cowboy, I think. The romance is really sucked out of it a lot. And there's there's some, I mean, from the moment that she wakes up and there's the rotary dial princess phone by her bed, you think, this is a very different kind of New York. I mean, I, the, I was in New York for those years. That was, so to me, I, I felt like I got back the New York I fell in love with. It was not shined up and clean and pretty, and we were living pretty hard. And it, I don't know, to me, there was a romance about it of what, I guess, what could be and what people were striving for. And, and to see her and Jack kind of just so, so in such solitude, moving through such a big city, you see New York and it's always this, you know, everyone's going to welcome you. And, and it's, I thought it was very interesting to, to just look at New York and individuals moving through it that are somewhat invisible and to tell their story. And, and I loved it for that, but I thought New York is a huge character in this. And all the bookshops were authentic. Yeah. And many of them were the bookshops where Lee operated. Are they still there? You know what happens to bookshops anymore? Yeah, well, uh, Mari told us that during the location scouting, many were closing down. And yeah. so I don't know whether they've subsequently more have closed down. But all of the books, there, there were no sets. They're all real bookshops. Really? Would, would this was, David, this is absolutely what you wanted for the authenticity of well, this, I suppose, then. It was all realized perfectly. I mean, hearkening back to Next Stop Greenwich Village, which was at that period. Paul Mazursky's great movie. It's um, it's as authentic as you can get. The gritty stuff and the hope, you know, the hope of people that are creative. I think we felt that in this film. And the Julius Bar as well. Which oh, I used to hang oldest, out. Julius's Bar, yeah. The oldest gay bond in Manhattan. And, you know, that's where she lived and operated. Yeah. And and this was 25 years ago, but still the f even for gay people in New York things were very different. So how how did that come into consideration for your characters? Well, for me, I I thought it was very interesting that that she that's where she chose to hang out because it was a gay bar. And you know, in the early 90s gay gay bars and lesbian bars were 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 worlds apart. There wasn't mingling, so I thought it was really Pretty fascinating that she chose to go there because she knew she would be left alone. And yet she could still not be, she was, you know, kind of reaching out by, by at least she's out somewhere. But they said usually she would sit at the bar, headphones on, which meant don't bother me. And if she was in a particular mood, she would go over and sit at the table where we had a couple of different scenes. If she was in the mood to hold court. She would be in there, but I think you know at that time in New York when you know the the AIDS crisis was coming up so hard and affecting that whole community. I mean that is kind of what bridged the gap. There is when people started taking care of all these men that were dying of AIDS, and I think it's the way it was written and the way Mari handled it in the script that that was such a huge part of New York at that time, and so troubling and it's handled so well in the movie that it's definitely there and you feel it but it's not you know 
It doesn't become a, a, we're not making a point out of it. It just simply was what was happening. In preparing for the role, did you talk to her friends or her enemies? No, I didn't. You know, I had David that every once in a while I just said, am I heading in the right direction? <laughs> Always hit the mark. You were great. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I met when we were at Julius's, there was someone um, that was standing around for the day and I couldn't figure out who he was. And I introduced myself to him later because I thought maybe he was there with someone. He was been on set all day. And he said, you know, it's hard for me not to come and sit down next to you because that was my job. I sat next to Lee. He goes, so when you're sitting at the bar in her spot, he goes, it seemed very odd for me not to, he goes, it just made me want to come and sit down next to you. And I did ask him, I said, would she, you know, first I said, am I doing okay? And since you knew Lee so well, and then I said, would she be happy about this? To which he said, well, happy wasn't really Lee's thing. <laughs> which I kind of thought was amazing. Um, but he said she'd love to have, you know, the attention on her work because that's what, that's what mattered to her was her work. And the, to me, the extraordinary thing was was to find this woman who was so unlikable in person to make her at least understandable that you could, when she stood up in court and risked going to prison, I would think, is that not the case, David, by saying, I'm very proud of what I did. It was the happiest time of my life. I think this is, uh, that was a realization of hers. But I think there's something interesting in this film there's, we always look for, oh, they have likability. She didn't have any of that. But <laughs> the, sub, the subtext that this wonderful person added gives us a feeling we do want to be with her. So, and you end up on her side in some ways. Yeah. So, Especially when she's sentenced and then we see her saying, you know, my AA meeting is still at Julius's. Well, still at Julius's. So um, the depiction of Jane Curtin as the agent, spot on? As her agent or Any the agent. go? <laughs> Who's here tonight? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I loved how Jane played it because she was right. She was trying to, she wasn't taking her calls when she was trying to tell her no one wants this book. And she was being, you know, kind of, pushed around and bullied by Lee in this. And uh, I just loved, I loved how she played it. And Jane, when we were shooting that scene, when she was having the book party in her house, Jane said, you know, my husband and I, this is 20 some years ago, we were at a book party in New York. And she said, someone came in and there was just kind of a bluster and nobody knew what was happening. And not even that loud. She just, there was this disturbing presence and she said it kind of like shuffled through the crowd and went through and got a bunch of food and had a couple quick drinks and then she said she left and she turned to someone and said who the hell was that and it was lee <laughs> so she said like how crazy that 25 some years ago i was at a party where she did she said she just kind of came in and like moved things around and got the hell out like had a few drinks took some food and got out of there and she's like and now we're doing this scene with her so I thought Jane had a pretty good insight because she had had a run-in. You said you were surprised to hearing people laugh. So for for both of you, Richard and Melissa, what do you want people to take away from this film? I mean, for, crime does pay. For yeah, crime does pay. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're seeing that all over. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
I mean, for for me, I thought the I thought the real love story was that you know these lonely these people that we don't see on the street. I think I think and watch people differently when I'm passing them. I think you never know, like this invisible person, it could be incredible. They could have the most riveting story. They could have the most challenging life. They could be more talented than you could ever hope to be. And they're just passing you by. So to me, it was, it's a, I hope people will think to like look up, look up and notice people and, and be aware that we're all, you know, everyone feels lonely. Everyone feels a little isolated or invisible. I think it's a pretty good thing to put a little bit of humanity back out in the world. And I think Mari told the story beautifully. But wasn't she a great example of, of woman's lib, being rejected and saying, screw you, I'm going to get, I'm going to do what I want to do, and successfully did it. And, and she did to the very last. Yeah. The, thing, the thing that happened in Telluride that I had no anticipation that would happen at all, because no, none of the reviews had come out, and it was, you know, it was three weeks ago, and... Uh, when people saw the movie, because there's a ski lift going from the hotel on top of the mountain down to where the movies are um, in the town, um, I kept being accosted is too strong a word, but people would say, I really felt something. I felt something. And they seemed, they couldn't express enough that this movie made them feel something and care about people. And they said that that, they felt, was missing from a lot of movies, that you admire them and you think they're absolutely wonderful and technically brilliant in the way that they're done. But to to make you feel something very strongly. And people kept telling me how much they felt. And they would grab me, and I liked that enormously. Well, if they grabbed you, that was what they felt. Yeah. <laughs> But to, to Melissa's point about opening your eyes to people, you know, to this parade of humanity and investing them with humanity, maybe that's what it was that they felt. Besides your elbow or whatever part of you they happen to grab. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Mm -hmm. And nobody's life is perfect, right? That's well, for sure. I, everyone seems to want to know about the cat. Was the cat discovered in Julia's bar? Oh, the cat was or, impossible. No, I'm kidding. The cat Did the cat was, have its own trailer? <laughs> the cat should have. The cat kind of was killing it. <laughs> like the cat was really good in the in the scene with the in the vet's office when it was supposed to be sick, and I literally said something like, "Look at it. It's not doing well." It sneezed, <laughs> which it was not trained to do, and then literally was like. <laughs> And I thought, oh my God, I'm getting outacted by a cat. I've got to like, I got to up my game. Like it was kind of amazing. Like when the cat, they were like, well, you know, you can't really, the cat's going to walk towards food. When you open a can of cat food, the cat's going to go towards it. And then there'll be a trainer doing all this stuff off camera. And it was like, oh, don't eat the food. The cat was like, got it. <laughs> or like would ignore us when it was supposed to it was kind of crazy like at one point I'm like is the cat animatronic <laughs> because I'm not buying it it's a delight I think it was much better than the cat in Breakfast at Tiffany's so maybe that's the summation of the review for that so no allergy no cat allergies though nobody had to deal with it no like that no cat so, allergies so. um I will give you David the last word is this the movie that you envisioned when you started out with Lee so many years ago well, I don't have nine years left to do another one. <laughs> so it's, Lee would have been thrilled with this, uh, this, this film. Certainly. Would she have bitched about anything? Uh, probably about the money. <laughs> but 
she would have been thrilled. And all her friends all uh, expressed that thought. And, and, and still, to, to the last, Melissa, it's I got It's a triumph for her, you know. And a posthumous triumph. A posthumous, absolutely. It's, it's uh, and I told you so. Look, I did exist. You know? and, and for Melissa, how talented she was did come through, even though she put it to, you know, illegal I, incredible. use. Incredible. I mean, the, she was... She was writing and as some of the best writers that we've ever had, and people that truly knew those authors were, you know, were crazy about it. We're saying like no one else could do this, and she just sat there like, "Oh yeah." I mean, it was part of even the wit of that that she could she could embody. It's why she wrote biographies, but you know, she could really embody anyone and write up to their abilities and, and beyond it. And I think that's that's an amazing thing to be able to do. Writing well is the best revenge. <laughs> Won't getting you please thank our- Getting people. published may be the and best. And getting published. <laughs> please thank our panel. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Academy Conversations Uncut. We hope you enjoyed this unique access to a members-only Q&A at the Academy. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and help us reach film lovers around the world. This podcast was produced by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences.